First Corinthians, the tenth chapter. First Corinthians ten. The outline is on the board, and this time I started over on the proper side, and then it comes over here. What's left over? And I still didn't get it all on the board. We need a bigger board. And if you want to get a copy of it, the best way is with a camera. About two or three rows back. About where Jeff is sitting. You can take it home and copy it or study it or whatever. But the explanation is generally found in the is in the outline. The nature of the church and Christian liberty. There's a warning here about Christian liberty that it's only held by those who are diligent or you can lose it. So here Paul talks about the fact that the possession and the awareness of liberty does not guarantee success. It's written up here. The possession and awareness of liberty that don't guarantee success. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But the Apostle Paul, in verse 1 through, uh, or, uh, 1 through 15 of chapter 10, he illustrates that point. Uh, because the possession of all of them was freedom, liberty. But uh, because they were protected, they were delivered, they was identified with Moses and the lawgiver and the leader, they had provisions from God. They had life from God. And in that, they had liberty. But did they keep it? Oh, no. And we're going to see that because they were all under the cloud. They all passed through the sea. They were all baptized under Moses. They all ate the spiritual meat. And so there's the possession that all of them had. But not all of them enjoyed it. And that's the way it is in the church. Same picture you get today. Many are called, few are chosen. Wasn't that the picture you see in the Old Testament? Anyway, that gives you an idea of where we're going, where Paul's going, I should say. And then he talks about the punishment of many that didn't know how to use and appreciate their freedom. And there's men who don't. Look at this generation in America that's squandering our liberties and our freedoms because they have no appreciation of it. They're enjoying it, but they don't have appreciation of it. And so Paul goes ahead and talks about the punishment of many because of that and the practice of some, and then he lists them, idolatry and, and all of these over here. Uh, all right, let's... Uh, some things we need to realize about uh, 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 the possession and the awareness of liberty, the fact that it does not guarantee success. You can possess liberty. You can be aware of the liberty that you possess, but that doesn't guarantee success. History, especially the Old Testament, records case after case of the deliverance of people from oppression only to be led into a different kind of bondage. So God was always leading them out of a bondage of some kind because they didn't know how to appreciate the liberty that he gave them. It's just a historical fact that once the slaves are set free, they're likely to be slaves again. You can mark that down. We've seen that in our time and in our own uh, latter history. And they've got to have a willing, uh, willingness uh, experience, a wilderness experience, excuse me, to outgrow that. The only way they can outgrow it is going into a wilderness experience. What is a wilderness experience? Think of it. Wilderness suggests a separation from everything. Uh, from and what did God do when he led the children of Israel out of Egypt's bondage there was a separation wasn't there 
Didn't he take them out of that influence of Egypt and away from the influence of Canaan? He didn't take the children of Israel right up there to take the land. He took them down to Mount Sinai. And they showed their unappreciation for liberty because he said, that land's yours, go take it. And they come back and said, no, that belongs to the giants. So they didn't know how to appreciate their liberty. And so they came, they were freed from Egypt and they went right back into slavery again. And so God made a wonder in the wilderness to think about what they'd done and the blessings that they had and, and uh, threw away. And uh, so as soon as Israel's out of Egypt, they went. They wanted to go back to Egypt because they got fed there and they forgot that they had to work from dawn to dark for a few leeks and a few watermelons and a few cucumbers. And they got hungry in the wilderness because free people have to work for what they get. And they wanted to go back and, and they wanted to have those checks coming in like America and not work. They forgot how hard they had to work back there when the government had those social systems of providing for them the leeks and the onions and the melons and all of that. And that's all they could see. They was very narrow-minded people. They couldn't see uh, very far. All right? And so they were no longer cared for. That's what they wanted. They wanted to be cared for. And Egypt did that. They worked the dickens out of them for just their daily food, and they provided their food for them as they built those, whatever they were building, those pyramids and stuff. But still and all, they got into the wilderness, and what did they what did they cry on many occasions? Every time they run into a problem, what did they say? Let us choose us a captain and go back to Egypt. We had it better there. We had our leeks and our onions and all of that, and here we're eating this manna from heaven and turtle doves. All right, so it's a matter of fact that most of the slaves freed in our Civil War, uh, even if they left the plantations, they quickly returned because they were cared for there. They were cared for like these Israelites were in Egypt. They were slaves, they worked the dickens out of them, but they was cared for. They was given given provisions of melons and all of that. Uh, and so the slaves of yesteryear, at, uh, uh, back in 1800s and around in that area, they didn't know how to use liberty. And so they was freed from the plantation. Many of them went back because they were used to being cared for. And that's what the Israelites did. Let's go back to Egypt because there we had the leeks and the onions and the melons and we were cared for. We didn't have to put into this diligence and this work of uh, moving around and all of that. We, we had our easy chair back in Egypt. And that's what's the matter with a lot of people in the church today. That's why these things were written. I'm not talking out of school. I'm declaring exactly what Paul declared for the same reason he declared it. Clyde Thompson, who he's now dead, uh, there's a book written about him entitled The Meanest Man in the Penal Institutions of Texas. Uh, they invented solitary confinement for this fellow, for Clyde Thompson. That's where they come up with solitary confinement. They put him in the bottom of the prison where they kept the cadavers. They built a special cage down there where he couldn't, uh, he couldn't have light or nothing. The, the man in charge of the prison, along with the chaplain, told Clyde that we've done everything we know to uh, cause you to stand up and be a man and you're so drawn back in yourself you ain't going to let nobody touch you with anything and you're going to continue to be like you are and so being you want to be an animal we will show you what an animal is like and so they put him in a cage and nobody talked to him and he eat with his hands he didn't have spoons and knives and forks 
And you ought to read that book. You can get a hold of it. But he killed one man to get in prison, and then he killed three inside. When he was finally pardoned and later uh, paroled, and because he fell in love with a crippled lady who brought him a suit and the shirt had cufflinks, he didn't know how to put on the cufflinks. And he made the statement in a sermon that he preached that he did not know how to wear freedom's garments. And most people don't. Our children don't know how to wear freedom's garments because they have no premise to appreciate the deliverance and the fact that of the freedoms to speech, the freedom of bearing arms, and all of the freedoms that's guaranteed in the, in the Constitution. They don't have a background. They need a wilderness experience in order to bring them back to recognition uh, and to appreciate freedom and liberty. Uh, so, uh, so Clyde could not put on his prison robe I mean, he could put on his prison robe, but he didn't know how to wear freedom's garments. And it had uh, cufflinks. <laughs> he didn't know how to wear them. And I think that's the problem with most of our brothers and sisters, and most of us maybe. We don't know how to wear freedom's garments. We run wild. We rebel. We don't like anybody giving us advice, and so on and so forth. We haven't learned how to wear freedom's garments. And that's what Paul is saying in verse 8, 9, and 10. We need to learn how to wear freedom's garments. That's what he's talking about. And he uses Israel as warnings and as an illustration to illustrate his point. He talks, first of all, of the position of everybody uh, that is in Israel. All they came out of all of them as all of them as they came out of Egypt, they were all under the cloud, and they all passed through the sea. Well, let's just read it. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud, and that they were all uh, passed through the sea. They were all baptized under Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food, and they drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Verse 5, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. With most of them. Are you beginning to get a picture of the church? Human nature hadn't changed. This is a picture of how we perform as, as the body of Christ. Many are called, few are chosen. And they forget the cost of liberty. They forget the beauty of liberty. They forget the things of liberty. Uh, now we'll cover that passage in a minute. Uh, but right now, they all had the same blessings as the idea that Paul's presenting here. Uh, they all came out of bondage in the same position. They were not a distinction uh, between one of them. There was no distinction. Uh, uh, made of anybody that escaped Egypt. They all had the same position. They were all under the cloud that uh, protected them. They all passed through the sea, and there's deliverance. They were delivered people through the sea. They were all baptized in that sea, or th through that sea, under Moses, and there's identification. You see one, one point about baptism there, jumping to uh, Christian, uh, Christianity? You see one point there? Baptism is identification. You're identified with who led you into that water. You're identified with that group that who led you into the water? Christ did. So you're identified. Moses on this occasion physically led them through the Red Sea by the power of God. And so they, Paul said that they were all baptized under Moses. 
so that identifies uh, them with their leader. They all ate the same spiritual food, and that was their provision. They all drank the same water, which was Christ. Uh, uh, that was life. And so everybody held the same position. Uh, protected, delivered, identified, uh, provided for, and alive. They all had the same position. And so <clears throat> any difficulty they have is not because of any position that uh, they, they stand in, because every one of them stand in absolutely the same position. But God was not pleased with all of them. There was a differentiation made between some, the many and the few. But yet they all had the same blessings. And all the same, uh, all of these things, the same. <clears throat> but then the many were punished. Verse 5, he says, Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. It was... There was three and a half million people went into that desert. And the only ones that came out was the descendants of those three and a half million. There was 20 years uh, and under at the time of the rebellion, along with Joshua and Caleb. Uh, there's three exceptions to that. Uh, actually, there's four. Aaron got to be married. Moses got to go to heaven. Joshua and Caleb got to cross the river. The rest of them were scattered throughout all the wilderness. We don't have a clue where they ended their life. And so there's the punishment of the many. Now there's also in verse 6 and 7 uh, some examples given. Uh, the practice of some that were uh, given as examples of the abuse of freedom because they went into idolatry, fornication, presumption, and mur uh, murmuring. Uh, verse 6 again. He said, Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not be idolaters. So they didn't know how to wear freedom's garments. Now, <clears throat> now is the problem idolatry or the set of their heart? The answer is yes. But the, the basis is the set heart. That's the basis of idolatry in this text. We're so uh, activity-centered anymore that we, uh, we get so hard on idolatry. We don't care what the heart's like just so long as we don't bow down to idols. And we check a person's spirituality by what they don't do. Is that the way you check a person's spirituality? By what they don't do? And so you see, it's a heart problem. And God looks at where? On the heart. All right? Now, kind of like what Dennis the Menace once said in a cartoon. He holds his hand out and says, See? That steady hand, I don't drink, I don't dance, uh, I don't kiss girls. He listed his negative qualities as righteous achievements. That's what we do. And that's what we do a lot. Uh, we don't commit adultery. We don't commit fornication. And we're not presumptuous. We don't murmur. Oh, we ought to choke on that one, shouldn't we? Because we do murmur. Do you know when you murmur? I want you to think about this. I don't care whether you're murmuring because your, your shirt wasn't ironed last night and the wife forgot it or what you're murmuring about, what you have to eat or whatever. When you murmur in the finalist analysis, who are you murmuring against? God. Who gave you the wife? Who gave you the shirt? You get the picture, don't you? So you need to be careful about this murmuring. God knows where you're at, what you're up to, what you got, what you don't have. 
and he'll see you through in all of this. Maybe he sees fit for you to go hungry for a little bit. But you need to recognize that God is in control of all things. He knows all things. And uh, so it, you need to be careful about murmuring. But we say we don't murmur and suppose we don't. Suppose we don't do those four things I just mentioned. Our set heart on evil will manifest itself some other way. Uh, like pride or jealousy or some other way. Israel just happened to come out in those four areas that was mentioned there. Verse 7, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, uh, the people sat down to eat and to drink, and they got up to indulge in pagan uh, revelry. What do we do? What's our practice? We don't know how to appreciate the liberty that God has given us. The liberty to learn, to grow, to develop, to take of his food, his provisions out of this book and study in class and things like that. That's what it's talking about. Because we don't appreciate our liberty, we lose it. Are we losing our liberty in America? Oh yeah, raise grandpa from the dead and ask him what he sees today. And it'll scare him to death. Because he won't see people that appreciated liberty. He'll see the slave that was set free uh, on the Mayflower trip over here from England, so to speak, and the Constitution that was delivered to us in the Declaration of Independence in 1776. And he'll see a people that's forgotten that. He'll see a spoiled people that all they can think of is the leeks and the melons and Daddy, the candy, oh, and the bubble gum and ice cream. They don't see the responsibility of freedom. It requires a maintenance, doesn't it? What is it they say? The cost of freedom is eternal vigilance. It is. It is. <clears throat> All right. Uh, verse 8. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. 23,000. We should not, verse 9, we should not test the Lord as some of them did and were killed by snakes. And do not uh, grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. Now, if you don't know where those passages and those incidents are recorded, uh, the idolatry, I've got it on the board there so you can get a hold of it and study it this week. Read Exodus 32. And the fornication, read Numbers 25. The presumption, read Numbers 21. And murmuring, read Numbers 16. There it is for you. There's your homework for, for this coming week. You didn't think God was going to let you all free, did you? Cost of freedom is eternal vigilance. And we're trying to be vigilant eternally. So we can eternally enjoy it. Alright, now that's the practice of some. Uh, that we just read there. The, the word some is in that text. Now the practice, though, is because of the fact that they set uh, their heart on evil. Now it would come out some other way. Uh, that's just the way it came out as they wandered in the wilderness. You can check other people who uh, set their hearts on evil as the prophet spoke against and they had their hearts set on something else, and it came out some other way. Uh, it may have came out in the main, uh, in the uh, minis uh, mistreatment of widows and orphans, or it may have come out in accepting a bribe, like the priests did. But 
that evil heart comes out in some evil practice and the cure is still inward. You know, if you don't cure it inward, but again, how do we judge our righteousness? By the negative. Like the little boy. See, that hand is steady because I don't kiss girls. I don't dance. I don't <laughs> give us a menace. So we judge things negatively. Well, I'm a good person. I don't commit adultery. And I don't do this. Well, that's in the deeds. But it's not only in the deeds. It stems from the heart, doesn't it? Jesus talked a lot about what comes out of the heart. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And what was in Jeremiah's heart when he said, I, uh, I'll preach no more. He said, I can't do that, though, because God's word is like fire in my bosom, and I cannot contain it. And so your mouth is an overflow pipe of what's in your heart. But it's easy for the mouth to say, I don't do this, I don't do that, I don't do that, as though it was some calibration of your spiritual status. But the problem goes deeper than that, because the basis of that, of the problem, is a heart set. What's your heart set on? That's what it is. You want to see people's hearts set on this world? Listen to them and watch them in life's way, in the highway of life, when their whole concern is more money, better furniture, wallpaper, uh, painting, fixing up the house, getting this arranged and that arranged, swimming pool. They, nothing wrong in enjoying those things at all. But when people begin to make that their life's endeavor, I ain't got time to go to church. I'm trying to build a swimming pool. Can't you see that? Uh, I, ain't, I ain't got time to go to church. They got a sale over here at wherever. And I got to get over there because they're just giving things away. You see what it, his heart set is on evil? He's not interested in the truth. Not interested at all. More money, a bigger house, a, a faster car. Four or five motorcycles. In my case, I just got them for illustration, so don't worry about it. <laughs> Man, the pulpit shouldn't lie like that, should he? <laughs> All right. So, an evil heart comes out and some evil practice and the cure is still inward all of the uh, behavioral uh, conformity only benefits society that's all it does now sure we're all for people uh, uh, people's uh, behavior uh, and being uh, confirmed I mean if the guy is murdering I want him to quit murdering or killing or kill or killing or knock him up or lock him up for life. One or the other. God would have him killed. And by the way, if you don't like that, talk to God about it, because God would have them had them stone him to death. You think that's ugly? Well talk to God about it, because all the way through the Old Testament, about seven or eight times. He commanded them to stone different people to death for these things. Uh, and this nicey-nicey uh, fault is not God's fault. Uh, he's nice, but he's not nicey-nicey. He's good, but he's not goody-goody. He would have had that guy stoned to death that we just talked about. Seven times in the law, God says stone this guy to death, and one of them was the murderer. And so it comes out different ways, uh, the heart set of a man. If he, if he doesn't have his heart set right, uh, the sins that he does 
he can brag about not being a, a drunkard, not being a wife beater, and all those kind of things on the negative side, but he's still got a problem in his heart. It'll just come out some other way. Pride, what about pride? But the cure is the same as the cause. The cause is the heart, and the cure is the heart. Because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Actions are contrived in the heart. You can have all the reform you want, and against Abe's and all the uh, for the people that is against this that and the other but none of that cures you can be against those things they don't cure anything all that uh, does is uh, prevent uh, and I'm for a pervert uh, prevention surely but God's uh, interested in the cure so God searches the man's heart so there's the practice of some which shows the heart they practice those things that was mentioned here uh, fornication presumption murmuring and the other things that he mentioned there in those verses but for what purpose does God have this recorded why did God have this chapter recorded this way? What is the purpose of history? Well, that's verse 11 through 15. The purpose of history is about number one. Uh, he has it recorded to admonish us. There's a reason why we have history, to admonish us. Does anybody listen to history? We have wise men. We call them wise men. They pour out by the millions out of our schools and our colleges and, and all facets of learning, yet they never seem to learn from history. Couldn't they see what we see? Couldn't they look upon history and, and be able to conclude that it's, uh, history's nothing but a directory through the cemetery of nations that once were and are no more because every one of them stepped over the moral line that finally brought their demise? like Sodom and Gomorrah. How come they can't see that? Because there's a difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. You and I, we know and we speak the wisdom of God. They speak the wisdom of the world. And God's already told you in 1 Corinthians, you know, in the early study of chapter 1 and 2, He's already told you that He delights in making men fools and stupid with all of their education. We don't trust in education, do we? Well, now there's a proper education. I shouldn't get into that, I guess. And there's an improper education. But we don't trust in things, do we? Human wisdom. Humans, human wisdom is how men look on things. Remember Peter when the Lord told him in Matthew 16, he said, one day you men will go with me back to Jerusalem. You'll see me tried, maligned, and crucified. Now, that's not a quote. That's a paraphrase. And Jesus and Peter said, not so, Lord. Be it far from me. He would, and what did the Lord tell him? Get behind me, adversary, for you mind not the things of God, but the things of men. In other words, where's his mind? His mindset is the heart set of a man in this world with man's thinking. Not with God's thinking. You and I study these scriptures so that we can think as our Father thinks. And we can judge as our Father judges. But the world don't do that. They've got the fancy schools where they're teaching man's wisdom. Do you see how man's wisdom is becoming unraveled with this COVID-19? Are you seeing that? Do you see how that the scientists and the experts really... The ones who are not heard as much as the fools are, they're advocating that these 
It's, it's plumb wasteful to wear these masks. In fact, it's dangerous to wear these masks. They're still wearing them. And look at all the people that don't know how to appreciate freedom. And they all got the masks on. I was kind of disheartened today because me and sis was down there in Pendleton. And we went in a, re a nice restaurant. It was full of <coughs> farmers and ranchers and old cowboys and stuff in there. And they all had their masks on as they made their way to their table. And they took them off and took a bite of food, you know. I'm telling you. And they don't quite... We don't question nothing. We just go with the flow. They don't know how to appreciate liberty. And they're losing them. And the freedoms that we have over here. Same picture here. So number one, history is there uh, recorded and God recorded it here. Uh, he had it recorded to admonish us, number one. He said in verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of all the ages has come. Now, that's an encouragement to be admonished by uh, their examples. The fact that we're a part of something eternal. You may think sometimes we overemphasize the idea of an eternal purpose. But how could uh, you overemphasize the fact that we sit here today because God eternally purposed that we would sit here today? He purposed it before he made the worlds. Uh, that we're in Christ today, not, not accidentally and not really on our own choice. Now, we made the choice, okay, uh, when the call came. But it was God's purpose that brought us here, not ours. God purposed to save us. God purposed to build the church, not ours. And God helped the man that boasts and brags and sticks his chest out as though he thought he was doing something marvelous in building the churches around the country. God's a caller. God's a provider. God's a deliverer. How many ways can you speak of the magnificence of God's deliverance of our liberty that delivered us? So it is God's providential purpose that will keep us from Israel's fall and not our New Year's resolutions. So, first of all, he records history to admonish me. Uh, to not do as they did because uh, the fulfillment of the ages has come upon me. Number two, uh, secondly, to keep me from pride. Why did God have this history written? To keep me from being overly proud. Pride and humility cannot exist together in and of ourself. Our pride is of God that's true and of his deliverance of us but it's not in us. Pride leads you astray. The devil loves to build a man up. Aren't you great? Oh look what you do. Aren't you something? Boy you're precious. What could uh, this job do without you? Uh, you're the best welder. Uh, the church, you're, you're the best teacher. You're this, that, and the other. Pride comes into the picture <coughs> and destroys the freedoms that we have. And so if you think you're standing firm, Paul says be careful that you don't fall. Uh, God uh, recorded history to say uh, uh, if it can happen to David in uh, adultery and murder, it can happen to you. That's why God had history written. That's why we have an account of David. You think David, God just wanted to tattle on David? He wanted you to learn from history. Man never does, but uh, that's why these things were recorded. You think God just had this big old book full of empty pages and he thought, 
well, I got to put something there, so I'll just put down what David did and what, you know, the sins of these people. No, no, they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages come, Paul said. And so uh, God recorded history to say, if it can happen to David, it can happen to me. Uh, if that happens to Aaron, it can happen to me. If it can happen to Moses, uh, who had a person-to-person -person interview with God and saw the outer limits of his glory, it can happen to me, regardless how great I may think I'm in. Uh, so I need to understand that in a wilderness experience, I'm potentially all they ever were. I mean, I am capable of anything. Now, if you don't believe that, the devil's going to have a, uh, you on a downhill pull if you don't believe that. You are capable of anything that anybody has ever done as people. Let's just list a few things. Can you see yourself as a child molester? You have the potential. Because whatever man has done, you can too. Uh, well, we could we could go on and on with the list there, couldn't we? But anything man has done, you you can be guilty of it. Why why aren't you? Well, maybe you're as lucky, or we can call it luck, to have a good mother and a father, a good home that you come out of. Maybe that's the reason you're not you don't wind up a murderer or whatever. But you see the hatred spewing out of them fellas' mouths that they arrested, uh, one for stabbing that girl, the other one for pushing that other girl off in, under the train. Did you hear the, the hatred that came out of their mouth? And can't you feel just a little bit sorry for them? Now they have to face judgment. That's absolutely true. God would have them stoned to death. But still in all, can't you see, except for the grace of God, there go I. If you can't, the devil's got you on a downhill pull. It's just a matter of time. You're not goody-goody as you think yourself to be just because you're who you are and you're your own brute strength. No, if you was led like some of these little boys and girls uh, and led and fed through the trough of this world like they were, you have the same potential. You could do the same thing. And that's the warning God's given in history. He's saying, look at David. That can be you if you don't watch out. Look at uh, Moses. His, his pride swelled up. And he struck the rock rather than speaking to it as God said. And he lost his inheritance in Canaan's land. He didn't lose his inheritance in heaven, but he lost it in Canaan's land. Because God did take him up and show him all the land from a high mountain. And then he died and God buried him. So you are capable of anything anybody has ever done as people. And that will humble you, I'll tell you. That will humble you. And it will also make you feel just a little bit for those people that's wrapped up in it. You see those people they showed on the street over there in Portland and Seattle? And these are old men sitting there weaving around and trying to get a needle in their arms. You can't help but shed a tear over that. Now something has to be done about it, that's true. But look what led them to that. They have no self-worth. They have no value in themselves. And so Paul's telling the church of Corinth they need to recognize their liberty. The, 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 uh, the uh, beauty and of the freedom that we have and how God has set us free. He's blessed us tremendously and he's seen to our feeding and our everything. And I'm not talking about just physical food. I'm talking about spiritual food. But how many is hungry for spiritual food? Well, look around you. 
This congregation's bigger than this, isn't it? Why aren't the rest of them here? I'm not being judgmental. I'm just pointing something out that needs to be pointed out. How come they're not here? How come they're never here? Is there a reason? Could could the reason be that they ain't hungry? And so you and I are capable of gross immorality. Whether or not you've been in that situation, you're capable of it. Uh, some brethren, bless their hearts, were raised in a fine home and never did get involved in all the that except in their mind. And I praise God for people like that. I've got some children like that, and I don't want them to go through the filth and the mire that some of us have gone through. Now, do you want yours to go through all that you've gone through? Look back. We kind of want to shield our children, don't we? We want to warn them, and that's what history does. That's why God had this recorded to warn us. I need to know I'm capable of anything that's happened in the past by humans. And you read about them things and think, boy, boy, isn't that terrible? Yeah, well, that's you, except for the grace of God. So don't get so uppity uh, in your pride to think you're really something. You are as long as the Lord's with you. Because what did Paul say in uh, Colossians 2, verse 17, I think it is, or 117, he said, Christ in you the hope of glory. Where's our hope? Christ being in us. What restrains me? What compels me? Christ. Well, what's Christ? The love of Christ. The example of Christ. And all of that combined together is the binding element. And it stems from the heart. And it makes itself known in the, in the deeds of the body. Well, and so uh, you don't want uh, yours to go through all you've gone through. Uh, well, I sure don't, and no need for that because they can look at Israel and not do it. They can learn from history. See, I can look at Israel's experience and I can look at Moses and Aaron and David and all those people, and I see what they uh, can miss, and those things are recorded, so I miss them. I miss that. They're not recorded, so I can excuse my doing of it, and I've heard them used that way. I heard a guy who professes to be a Christian I ain't going to mention no names. You probably wouldn't know him anyway. But he had the stupidity or the pride, I don't know which, to look me in the eye after committing adultery, being a Christian, or being in Christ, I should say. And he had the gall to say, well, God can forgive me like he did David. He's using that as an excuse. Rather than learning from it, he won't use it as an excuse. We don't do that, though, do we? Uh, so they're not in that book so we can excuse our performances of what they did. They're in that book so we don't do what they did and then be proud we didn't do it. Because isn't it easy to be proud of what you haven't done? I mean... Uh, Uh, I've been here the whole time. I haven't wasted your money on riotous living. I've worked, so I'm not like the prodigal son. We always look at the negative. Isn't it easy to be that elder brother and take pride in the fact that uh, 
Uh, I see the example and I didn't do like they did. Uh, see, our hearts set on evil just came out another way, didn't it? The prodigal son, he came out of the pig pen and the voice came out of the front door of the boy who didn't know how to appreciate his freedom, the older brother. The elder brother came out the front door and if I had a choice to choose, I'd rather mine came out of the pig pen than out of the front door. I don't have to be either one. I can be the father inside. I think that parable was written not to tell me I could be the prodigal or the elder, the elder son. I think that that parable was written so I can be the loving father looking for the prodigal, thinking about that. Think about that. Uh, I believe that uh, parable was written so we would invite, we would imitate the dad and neither of the brothers. I think it's good to know you can come home. And I think it's better to be the guy waiting uh, uh, for the brother to come home. So there's a second reason uh, to humble us and to keep us from pride. You remember that elder brother? What did he say? He dwelt on the negative. Well, I've been here working for you, Father, all this time. I don't get no fatted calf killed for me. Pride. Uh, the third reason is to give us victory in the middle of the test. Verse 13, look what it says. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Notice that. Common to man. That's Christian to man. That statement to man. It's talking about Christians. You will never have a temptation that ungodly pagans don't have. It is common to man. The temptations in this world. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. So first of all, you're part of uh, humanity being tested that way. Secondly, God doesn't let any temptation come on you except what you can bear. And thirdly, he will provide the way out so we can stand up under it. Uh, who did I learn that from? I learned it from Israel in the wilderness. Israel in the promised land. David on the throne. I mean, that's constantly the emphasis uh, of uh, all of the Old Testament history. And that's why God had it recorded. That's why a person uh, uh, deprives himself of the ability to withstand temptation if he doesn't know the Old Testament. That's why it is, uh, it is able to make him wise unto salvation. Isn't that what the scripture says? Makes us wise unto salvation, unto deliverance. Matter of fact, we just read in verse 11, who are these things written down for? Us. Didn't verse 11 say us? Absolutely. It was written to me. It happened to them, and history is not written for the people doing it. History is written for the next gener few generations, isn't it? And so that you can look at that, history repeats uh, itself as a monument for the people who don't uh, uh, lead history. Man is stupid. He has never learned the lessons that history records to teach him. He repeats the same old mistakes uh, as though they had never occurred. He would have victory if he had just learned yesterday's lessons. That's why we should be uh, uh, readers and think and to think. All right, number 
before to keep from idolatry. That's why God had these things written. Verse 14, therefore. Now, why is it here? Uh, why is therefore introducing a new thought? Or do you think it's introducing a new thought? No, it's con uh, it concludes an earlier thought. And so uh, the conclusion of this, and this is still the same subject, uh, that's why I'm, I'm not, uh, uh, although we're, it's a new paragraph, it makes it a part of the previous discussion. Because who made the paragraph? The Greek writer or the man who translated it? Well, naturally, it's the man who translated it. It ought not to be a new paragraph. Therefore, it doesn't start a new paragraph. It concludes uh, the uh, uh, the military cross uh, uh, preceding paragraph. Therefore, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. So these things were written so I would flee from idolatry. And now you may think you have no problem with idolatry, but you need to think seriously how wrong you are. I mean, everybody has problems with idolatry because covetousness is idolatry. If all you uh, covet is, uh, is reputation, you're still an idolater. I mean, whatever is an intimate desire, even if it's freedom, it can become an idol. Because anything can become an idol when it stands between God and, and, and me. Between listening to God uh, or in this text when it stands between a weaker brother and me. Anything that stands between you and a weaker brother is an idol. It needs to be fled or flee uh, from uh, your freedoms, uh, meat sacrificed to idols, uh, whatever it is, if it interferes with your relationship with a weaker brother, you need to flee uh, that thing because it's become an idol. And uh, last of all, number five, all of this is written to give me discernment, verse 15. I mean, the history was written to give me discernment. I don't know why the translators put 14 to 15 in this new paragraph. Uh, it does not belong there at all. 15 says, I speak to sensible people. Judge, judge for yourself what I say. <clears throat> Didn't that sound like a concluding thought? I think you're sensible, Paul says. How about judging what I say? Now, Paul talks about the fact not only their freedom is illustrated by Israel, but it's misused by them by their fellowship with demons. And here's where he gets in. We're going to stop right here. But he talks about fellowship with demons. You can't have fellowship, uh, mutual fellowship with God and with demons. And so, if you're confused about that, and you're trying to take care, take part of the world and Christianity. It won't work. It won't work. And that's what we're to learn from history. That's what they did. Well, thank you for listening to me. That's we'll close right there on that point. What is today, the 20th? Today is the 19th. 19th?
you know what would really be nice? I can hardly read that clock back there if we have one. Like to even look at it anyway. <laughs> you want us to get you a bigger one, Merle? A big one. Right there. Oh yeah. I'll have to steal it then.